hey there all my podcast listening buddies welcome once again to the everyday missionary podcast episode 268 yep that's 268 man it's been two weeks and the last two weeks has ripped by in uh, the Boswell world. It is like, man, I feel like I did a podcast like two days ago, and I'm like, it's already been uh, actually a little over two weeks. Uh, It's Thursday of this week. A little behind schedule, but uh, been fun and been busy all at the same time. So uh, last week, I was out of town for a good chunk of the week with my precious wife of 32 years, whom after 32 years, I can honestly say, dig even more today. I was going to say far more today, and that was going to sound terrible. I dig so much today, much more even than I did 32 years ago, and I dug her 32 years ago. And so it is a huge blessing to be able to run around with a person that is your person that you legitimately just can't wait to hang out with. Uh, And so that's what we did last week, right? So uh, last week was my birthday, which for the record, I don't love birthdays. I love everybody else's birthday. I don't love my own birthday. I don't like acknowledgement of my birthday. I don't like kind of that thing because frankly, and this is going to sound weird to some of you, I actually don't like attention. Um, You know, I, I think if I wasn't a pastor, I would probably have a job that puts me in the innards of a basement somewhere in some research facility doing some weird obscure thing where I would just be like locked away and in my own little introverted world of research and thought and exploration. Um, and I probably wouldn't have a social media account. I wouldn't have any of those outlets because I am kind of just this person where I like celebrating others. I don't like being celebrated. Um, I like you know, enjoying the attention that others get. I don't like attention for myself, uh, even in the pastoral space that I'm at. And, and so it's really just because of the fact that I am in this kind of public type role, I have to be kind of comfortable with it, but I'm not terribly comfortable with it. So this is kind of a moment of confession. It's the Everyday Confessional podcast right now. Um, and so uh, anyway, but it's my birthday. I don't like birthdays for the attention side, but I do like birthdays for getting older which is also a weird odd kind of like you're like that that's not why most people like a birthday or don't like a birthday um so i love getting older i really do and part of this is because i started off as a lead pastor when i was 24 i was a baby a child in pastor years that is a wee lad all right and so I was 24, and at that point, I had some book smarts. I thought I knew everything. I was such a legalist back then. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I was so, so smart, too. I, I did. I had a response to every every uh, in- inquiry that anybody could ever ask about the Bible and theology. And now, after 30-plus years, I look back and I go, you were cute. You were so adorable. You know, now I'm in my kind of – I'm 52, and um, I know less than half of everything. And every year, I know even less. Pretty impressive, right? Um, but uh, but when you start out young like that, the one thing you know you don't have is wisdom. You don't have life experience. And so I couldn't wait to get older just for the credibility of, oh, yeah, I've had some experiences. Because when I was 24, everything was clean, tight, simple. It was just Ellen and I. We didn't have kids yet. Didn't have all of the tragic experiences of life yet. I mean, I had a rough upbringing. That was true. But for Ellen and I in our adult lives, man, life was easy at that point at many levels. And then now, you know, you get in another you know, almost 30 years and you're like, wow, um, life has kicked us in the face a couple of times and, 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 and you've experienced more challenges and therefore you're a bit wiser, hopefully a bit more tempered, hopefully a bit more compassionate, erring on the side of grace because life is messy, all of that. So I love every year that I roll into another digit where I'm like, okay, hopefully it's another year of a little bit more ri- wisdom in the utility bag that I can pull out for the stuff of life. So anyway, that was a long thing to say. Yeah, I was gone last week. It was my birthday. Um, 
went down to Westport, Washington, went to the beach, but we didn't go to the hot beach. We went to the cold beach. Like people are like, dude, you went to the beach. I'm like, right, the cold one. They're like, oh, the cold beach. But it was cool, man. Like two days were crushing storms and waves. Next day after those two days was a snow day where we woke up to snow on the beach. And then the next two days after that were just crystal clear, sunny by day uh, at night, crescent moon. You can see Venus and Jupiter in alignment with the crescent moon right on the horizon of the ocean. I mean, just it was super cool all the way around. And it's great. Ellen and I try to do this every once in a while where we get away. We're just reading some books, listening to some podcasts, reading books to one another, what we're learning, uh, hanging out, walking on the beach, just sitting around. It was just a great time. Had a great time. And then came back this week and everything was busy, right? Uh, my kids were moving from one townhome to another townhome in the same complex, which I don't know if you've ever done the 500-yard move. It's the worst kind of move ever, right? Where it's not like you load up the entire truck and everything's super orderly and you take the truck over to the new house and unload it. No, you're like, hey, we're just going to shuttle everything 5,000 times in a small pup trailer and a couple of small cars, you know? We're going to call it that the done effect, you know? And so I uh, was super busy doing that. Uh, and then church stuff has been busy as well. We're doing First John, which is way more complicated than I thought. Like, man, doing numbers was was going to be a handful. We did numbers here recently, and I thought, oh, who does numbers? We do numbers because we like to do tough stuff. But then we'll do First John. We'll do it a little bit more slowly to really kind of dig deep in it, and it's going to be easy. John is not easy. Can I tell you what? John is not easy. So that's got some work behind it. We got some building stuff and you're going to have a building update soon enough too, which is going to be great to be able to give that because there's some good news coming. So that's going to be rad. Uh, And then on top of that, oh yeah. And then on top of that, I'm doing this little side gig of personal training, which can I tell you, and this is going to kind of now bleed into the podcast for the day. Finally, after Matt has done his confessional, his life story, everything else, uh, Uh, it's going to make sense. But um, so some of you may or may not know, but I've recently uh, received my certification in personal training so I can do stuff at the gym in the evening when Ellen is on shift at Evergreen. So it gives me something to do at night because again, I don't like sitting at home. I just, it's not my jam. Uh, I'd rather be active doing something. And I could just go work out at the gym myself for a couple hours, but that's not even healthy, right? So uh, I decided I would do this instead. And it's been really cool because uh, as this is called the Everyday Missionary, and we're all meant to be everyday missionaries, even though I only pump this out every two weeks, it seems, uh, doing this is putting me in a new headspace when it comes to being my own everyday missionary, right? So uh, it's nice. I'm out of the fishbowl for the first time in several decades. Uh, I'm wearing a name tag. I have a uniform. I answer to a boss. I'm the lowest person on the totem pole, right? Like this has been a long time since I've been in that role. I have to sign an employee handbook and all these different things are there, right? There's a clock in, clock out. I have to learn new computer systems. So it's super fish out of water. Um, But it's also an opportunity for me to rub shoulders in a different capacity. I'm not Pastor Matt, I'm Coach Matt there, right? And this has been really refreshing for me in a lot of ways to be out of the salt shaker, out of the fishbowl, so to speak, all these kinds of things, and having to think in terms of, okay, how do I apply my my life in Jesus in this space in such a way that's an effective everyday missionary? So that's been a lot of my preoccupation. And one of the biggest things that I'm seeking to do in this whole context is um, go like, I don't lead with the fact of like saying, oh yeah, my day job is I'm a pastor. And I don't do that 
for a couple of reasons. One is not because it, I let me say this this way. I don't tell people initially I'm a pastor. I try to not, not tell them for a very long time, um, not because I'm like ashamed of that, but because there's baggage attached to that. Especially here in the Pacific Northwest, you run around for any length of time, you're going to meet people who have been hurt by pastors, hurt by Christians, hurt by religion, hurt by the church. Uh, and if they find out early in the conversation that you represent that body that's wounded them, they're going to have a real shield up with you, right? So I try to not let that be the thing that kind of comes out for a while, in part so they can get to know me because I find so often that if I can protract it and they eventually find out, their response is kind of like, oh, but you're not like one of those kind of pastors or one of those kinds of Christians, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm glad that I'm not one of those type, but it's clear that you have a type and I'm glad that I was able to disrupt your stereotype because I think that's our mission. Um, but if they find out early, then it kind of disrupts some of that. The other thing, when they find out, as soon as they do, they're always like, they get kind of like sheepish and bashful and like, I'm sorry, I was cussing earlier. Oh, I'm really sorry about my language. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, I don't care about that. That's not even a big deal. You know what I mean? I mean, I'll be really open with you. Sometimes I just drop a curse word when they say that to go, now it's okay. Can you realize I can say a word too? You've said a word. It does not offend me. I just said it to affirm it doesn't offend me. We're fine. Can we move on from this? You know, kind of thing. Because I want them to feel safe with me, if anything else, because it goes back to even our mission as a church where we talk about like, hey, we want people to know that life with Jesus is better. And the way we try to do that is we want them to feel welcomed, valued, coached, and unleashed. Those first two steps a welcomed and valued is very much what we all should be doing in our Christian lives to the world around us, right? So when I'm in that space, I try to be welcoming, give them a sense of value that I see their value and their worth. I don't lead with that I'm pastor mad. I lead with that I'm coach mad so I can build rapport with them. And then from that, there can be trust. From that, there can be relationship. And then down the road, they find out, oh, you are this other thing too. Oh, okay, but it's not as weird now because I kind of got to know you first. And I think that's a real positive, right? So that's part of what I tried to do in this. And this is that learning curve that I'm in. The other thing that I decided as I worked through going into the space, what is it that I want to represent if I'm going to be an everyday missionary is I want to have a certain tone and I want my tone to be really, really clear. And I want everybody to associate the coach in yellow shoes because, yes, I wear yellow noble shoes, solid yellow shoes with my solid yellow Jeep with my yellow hat. Yes, I got a yellow thing. I got a yellow Yeti cup. I have a yellow water bottle. Yes, yellow's my thing. You know why? Because yellow's happy. All right. Yellow is associated with happiness. And with that, I think it's really important for modern day Christians to exude happiness because, and this goes back to the tone then of what I want to exude as an everyday missionary at the gym, because this is kind of the way I'm thinking it through, is joy. Joy should be the obvious, clear benchmark of the Christian. Now, it's not always. And that's what tragically is true. What's tragically true is if you ask the world, if you pulled them and said, hey, what is the tone of the evangelical Christian in the modern world? Their first word would not be joy. Sadly, it wouldn't be joy or peace or love, even though those are the first three things of the fruit of the Spirit. That would not be how we're known. We're known as worrisome. We're known as fighty, bitey, complainy. We sound like victims sometimes because we're worried about our rights and we feel like we're losing our America and all those kinds of things. We're concerned about gender issues and sexuality issues and we're kind of going to war with a lot of people. I mean, even this week I was reading an article about a Christian school that forfeited a match because one of the players on the other team was transgender. And I thought instead of it being an opportunity to show love and joy and peace and everything else, Made a statement, made a point, pulled out, everything else. And so it's like, again, we keep keep kind of vilifying the world, you know? And, and I think that's more how we're known. And yet Jesus comes in 
and says, man, I'm going to do the same with my people to where love just pours from them and peace is their identity and joy is their tone. I mean, go back through and read the gospels. You know, it's like really impressive where Jesus talks about, hey, I'm going to give you a joy that is unlike anything the world can fathom. I'm going to give you a joy that cannot be stripped away from you. Now, I think we can abdicate it, but it can't be stripped from us. We can just simply be lazy with our joy. We can be unseeking of joy. We can decide to complain or worry or fret or gripe or moan or whatever. Instead of have joy, we can do that. That's called sin in my opinion, but we could do that. But Jesus like, no, I came to give you joy. I think about the Beatitudes, right? Blessed, 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 blessed is the word happy. Happy is this, happy is this, happy is this, happy is this. Philippians, man, where Paul's like, oh man, I'm going to write a whole letter on joy while I'm in prison, while people hate me and stab me in the back. Uh, I'm going to talk about how we can have just unshakable, ridiculous joy as Christ is our strength. Because when he writes about that, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we always talk about whether that's misquoted or how people abuse that verse or whatever else. I'll tell you where it's firmly right. It's in relationship to joy, right? I can do joy through him who gives me strength. So I'm really, really committed to the idea that Christians should be noted for joy in society, for happiness in society, for this uh, idea of transcending the conditions because there's something deeper that holds them and puts a smile on their face and a spring in their step. And I believe this is one of the most powerful ways that we can be an everyday missionary. And to not inhabit that space is the opposite of being an everyday missionary. It's like, man, if becoming a Christian means I complained about culture, I'm worried about our future, I'm a sourpuss about the stuff of life, and I want to boycott, protest, picket, everything that's in, in sight— who wants to join that club, right? Like nobody wants to join that club except other sourpusses that want to join a sourpuss club, right? So not interested in the sourpuss club. We're interested in this contagious, ridiculous joy that Jesus talks about that no one can take away, right? And so at the gym, for example, that's been my mission. When people walk in, my, my spirit, my disposition is like amped on joy right? This is why everything's yellow for me, right? Because like joy is just sunshine. Joy is just happy. Nobody looks at yellow and says, that's a sad, sick, terrible color. Now puke yellow. Yes. All right. There's some neon yellows that freak me out, but, but just a good sunshiny yellow, right? And then people come in and I'll be like, Hey, how are you guys doing this evening? And they'll say good. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. I'm doing fantastic. And they pause. It's so weird how they pause. And they're like, wow, love the energy. And then they get like a little bit of a perk, you know, a little spring in their step too, you know? And so I'm always trying to mix up the high octane joy thing, but that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to do that. So people go, there's something about that dude that man, he's always positive. He's always happy. I work with some of these younger people at the gym and they're like, you're one of the nicest people we've ever met. You know And I'm like? That's sad if I'm one of the nicest people you've ever met. And I'm not trying to, you know, sing my praises because also I'm not always good at joy. I'm not always good at happiness. I'm not always good at contentment. Like it's a slog for me too. There's things in life that want to rob all the time. There's circumstances that punches in the face and we have to press through. But again, I keep going back to this idea that, oh yeah, man, happiness and joy is, is contagious. Happiness and joy is what people seek. 
Happiness and joy is what Jesus said he wanted to instill in us. And the closer we are to him, the more it pours forth from us. And therefore, from that man, we want to really zero in on a focus that isn't about being successful. It's about being joyful. It's about being faithful so that we can be joyful. And I think that's kind of the code that we want to crack in the Christian life so that people go, man, there's something about you all that I want to know more about. What is that all about? And this is why I get so bummed when I hear the tone of Christianity being so kind of fear-based and and frustrated and antagonistic and picking all the culture wars because I'm like, it just crushes any tone of joy, like crushes it, you know, and it just divides further. And I, I really do. I, I, I think it just, utter, I mean, this is me being kind of bombastic, but I think it just destroys the credibility of the gospel in the hands of modern evangelical Christians when we're just more known for what we're against than the joy that we have in Christ. Like, I really do. I I sometimes get really disheartened. I'm like, ah, ah, this, this club of mine breaks my heart, right? So, so what does that have to do then with the topic of the day? Well, it's about joy. And it's about an article that uh, I had a friend of mine post this week on social media, and I read the article, and I think they posted it more kind of in the context of, can you believe this crazy article? And I read it, I'm like, oh man, I am a super fan of millennial and Gen Z parents. <laughs> so I'm coming at it from another angle and I get the the, the, the debate on this and I, I think there's probably room for some of the debate on this. But the article was titled, Millennial Parents Are Saying No to Raising the Next Jeff Bezos Because It's More Important That Their Children Be Happy Than Successful. Now I read that title and I actually perk up and I go, I kind of agree. So I love millennial Gen Z parents and you can too. All right, and so my kids, my oldest, Honor, and her husband, David, are right on that cusp. They're not millennial. They're really Gen Z-ish parents, but they're the oldest of the Gen Z. So, you know, all kind of age brackets have a little bit of an overlap, and I'm watching them with my grandkids, and there's things that I see in their parenting that I really admire, and I go, man, I wish I would have done that more. Man, I wish I would have had my head wrapped around this better. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have done some of the things that I did, and I wish I would have inherited more of these certain traits. And so where some people are lamenting the next generation and they lament millennials and they lament Gen Z, um, I'm a fan. I am going to be president of their fan club. Not that everything in every generation is just perfect, but there's things that I see in them, and I think this article captures some of these traits where I honestly go, I think this more is more in alignment with the values of Jesus than not, in my opinion. And again, it's just my opinion, so you're getting my opinion right now. So I'm going to read you a little bit of this article and where I go, like, I think there's something here when it comes to things that Jesus said, both the warnings that he gave and the, the promises that he instilled for our lives. And so article starts off and says, as a parent, it's only natural to imagine the amazing adventure ahead for your child with no bags or paths yet taken they have so many possibilities to choose from and with so many exciting career paths out there the question that you have maybe as they're entering into this adulthood space is what are they going to do right are they going to become an athlete or an astronaut a founder of an ai firm that doesn't exist yet it says well actually instead of dreaming that their child will become the next jeff bezos or oprah winfrey parents today think happiness is more important according to new research. As millennials, and I'm gonna say like the early, early uh, Gen Zers, excuse me, step into the role of mom and dad, uh, Bento Brain, which is kind of a consulting firm out of London, has documented the generational shift in parenting ethos when it comes to raising their children. In a year-long study based on more than 200 hours of face-to-face interviews and surveys of 2,000 parents, 
all published in white paper, The Raising of Gen Alpha, researchers found that 81% of millennials think it's more important for their children to be happy than to be successful. Uh, it says, in fact, the army of 27 to 40-year-old parents are sacrificing their own careers in a bid to raise happy kids. The research says that millennials mostly experience helicopter parenting growing up, essentially parents hovering overhead and trying to control and perfect aspects of their child's lives. So parents now are these children that were raised as under helicopter parenting, they themselves now as parents, millennials, are purposefully rejecting the classic career ladder expectations often placed on children. Instead, millennial parents are prioritizing their child's contentment, included by push are including by pushing back on traditional views around education and the celebration of individuality. According to the research, 87% of millennial parents are encouraging their children to stand up for what they believe in, and 83 are nurturing their child's individuality, while 57% agree school is not preparing their children to be citizens for the future, which that's an interesting thing, because I'm seeing it too, that they care about the collective more than they care about individuality. It's not about them, they, me, my, you know, it's not like that. It's not like my rights trump whatever society cares about. They have a lot more of kind of a, a community-wide mindset. And that's being reflected here. The report also adds that the focus on well-being, which was rated higher than getting a good education, has risen to the uh, kind of four in view of kind of the post-pandemic elements in the United States and the UK, which then it goes on to say that helps explain why an increasing number of parents are placing less pressure on their children to get a bachelor's degree with only 12% of millennial parents stating that they have a desire for their child to attend a university. In comparison, 38% of the 18-year-old UK population is currently at a university because this research was in the UK. As a result, the report predicts that when Gen A children, again, these are born after 2010, grow up, they will find a job that enables them to explore their passions as their main source of income or juggle a traditional money earning role with a passionate side hustle. And so being a, being more emotionally present is more important than ever with 77% millennial parents prioritizing time with their children over careers and parents in the U.S. don't feel like they're getting enough family time in relationship to all of this. This was originally in fortune.com. Now, I, I read kind of snippets of this article really quick and I know some of you may be listening and you're rolling your eyes already. You're like, oh, that just sounds like mom and dad. It's more about the music than about a career and it's all about the music and not the money and da-da-da-da-da, right? But, but there's another layer in this that I think is really important at, at more than one juncture. I think one is when I think through the content of Jesus's message, um, there is a hefty warning around the priority of success, of money earning, of gaining in this life, of building barns and bigger barns, of the warning of, hey, you're going to hate God if you love money. You can't serve both. You know, like he, even the way the gospel of Luke starts, he's like, I've come to up in things. I'm going to, I'm going to drag the rich down. I'm going to elevate the poor. Uh, and out throughout the gospel of Luke, there is this real strong tone on, you know, the, the woe to our, those who are rich, but blessed are those who are poor kind of thing. And I'm not trying to advocate like rich is bad and poor is good, but there is a tone where you really, you, you rarely see in Jesus's words, Hey, fight to be successful in this life. Fight to really earn all that you can, maximize your potential, and, and really be successful, and that is going to bring bliss to the world. Like, he doesn't seem to really do that much. He's always warning, like, that's a trap, that's a danger, be cautious, be careful, right? Because if that becomes your focus, then it's going to consume you, and it will become the way that you see the world, and the way you judge the world, and the way you assess things. And on the flip, he does make a pretty big case for, 
I want you to have joy. I want you to have happiness. I want you to have an abundant life. I mean, you look at the gospel of John, John 10, 10, came to give you life, give it abundantly. You look at how John weaves life and joy together pretty tightly <clears throat> and the sense of transcendence over the things of life, which sometimes when you're striving to be successful and then you're not being a success, it dampens your joy. It dampens your happiness. It dampens your effervescence to the world around you. And you don't seem very compelling. You just seem frustrated. And then you're driving to kind of try to fix that problem. So as soon as the market goes down, it controls your joy. The market goes up, it controls your joy. That's not really joy. I think that's earthbound happiness rooted in success or non-success. I don't think that's a kingdom-minded thing so much, right? So I look at this article and I look at these parents, even though they're not doing it for Christian reasons, and I go, there's something to this. There's something to this idea that says, you know what? We're not going to worry as much about whether you monetarily made it, whether you had the American dream established. We want to raise our kids to be balanced. We want to raise our kids to understand their own feelings. I mean, I watch that with my own kids, how much they coach my granddaughter, who's almost three, uh, in the realm of her emotions and her feelings. And they work through those things with her and they talk through those things with her. And like, okay, you seem really, really angry right now. Can we walk through why you're feeling angry not right now? What made you feel angry? How could we work through not being angry anymore about this thing? Like when we were parents, you know, we were just like, no, you can't be angry at your brother for that. You need to forgive him, move on. We, you know, had this very like concrete, abstract thinking thing for children that are not abstract thinkers, you know, but it was kind of like, that's the way we kind of did it. And, and we didn't help them work through their feelings. And I see where they're trying to do that. I'm like, that's really healthy because again, much of our lives are just going to be rooted in and driven by feelings where we want that, whether we want them to or not. But the, the sooner you learn to work through those things, the sooner that you have a grip on just a sense of adequate mental health and how you process your mental health and how you learn to work through the feelings that you have when you do that when you're young, you're going to be much better at this when you're older, right? So they're taking time to do that and they're taking time to build a foundation that says we're not concerned with your monetary or earthly successes we're concerned with your well-being. We're concerned with your balance. We're concerned with uh, how you put together priorities and you live by those priorities. Because, you know, I can even say as a parent, as our kids were growing up, I don't think I had the best of those priorities. I think even as a pastor, I was more focused on success, right, than being faithful and joyful. I would have said being successful is, is more important then I'd say faithful is important, but what I really meant by that is faithful to being successful. Or I put more time into being successful than I put into being faithful. And then joyful is like, hey, if we're ever joyful, that's great. But that's like a bonus if you get it, right? Instead of saying what I think these parents are doing is they're saying, hey, we're going to make joyful the priority. We're going to make that the, the end goal. And then everything's going to filter into that. So if we have to sacrifice success to, to ensure joyful, we will do that. And we'll be faithful in that more than we'd be faithful in being successful. And I think there is then value to this whole discussion about how Christians should be known because I do think we have a tone at times that's way more about successful. I see it with churches wanting to be successful, ministries wanting to be successful, individual Christians wanting to be successful. It is about kind of the almighty dollar at times or it is about growing the business or it is about those things. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying money's bad. I'm not saying success is bad in and of itself. But if success is our motive, if success is more the driver, then we are joyful in the pursuit of success, that we are faithful to God in the midst of seeking to be successful. It's just putting success lower in the ladder. I'm not saying we get rid of it, but lower in the ladder. And these things should be the more dominant element in our lives 
lives. And that's what I love about these millennial Gen Z parents is they're trying to strive for a better prioritizing of these things. And I think from that, they're going to have healthier kids. And I think for us as Christians, we should learn from this, right? I know a lot of these parents in this study aren't even going to be Christian, but I'm like, but they're tapping into a thing that I think is uniquely a kingdom-minded ideal. And I think it's a thing that we want to grapple with uh, of all of the sins that we can kind of fall into as, as followers of Jesus. Sometimes we see those things as like sexual sins, or we see them as attitude sins, gossip and slander and, you know, those kinds of things. But there's this whole other category of sin, which is sometimes we just, we, we prize individuality more than we do community. But these people are saying, no, we care about community more than individuality. That's a Jesus-centric thing. Jesus came to build a community to bless the community. It's exactly what he came to do. Israel started as a community to bless the nations, and then now it's the church as a community to bless communities, bless the nations. The, the scheme hasn't changed, but we sometimes elevate individuality over community. In fact, we even go, oh, community, that's just socialism. That's just communism. We sometimes just bash notions of community because they have historic bad associations. But still, Jesus said, no, you're to be a community-minded people, not an individualistic-minded people. These parents kind of get that. I think we need to own that more as Christians. So that's kind of one thing. I think the other thing is we can sin by saying, you know what, we know we're not supposed to love money, but we do a lot of stuff about money. We fret about money. We live a lot for money, even though it's not really for money. And we need to just kind of go, hey, is it really about money, right? These people are saying, we're categorically making the decision that it's not going to be about money. And I go, I like that they're stating that up front and they're, they're actually coaching to that, right? I think that's a really, really healthy thing, actually. And it's something we can kind of learn from as well to make that the priority. And then last, we can sin as Christians by not being terribly happy in this life by not being joyful, by not exuding joy. If we are the sourpuss, if we're griping, complaining, moaning, you know, venting, whatever else on social media, in our real lives, with real people, at the grocery store, if you're getting mad at the cashier for something, you know, instead of you're having joy toward the cashier for something, that cashier has zero control over like 90% of their job. Don't get on their case, right? If you're dealing with a sourpuss at the DMV, you be the nicest person with that sourpuss person at the DMV. It doesn't matter what it is. These are all the ways that we can exude Jesus, who is the source of our joy in this world. And I think it's what the world most needs. I think it's what it's desiring to seek. I think it's it's what I desire to see in our community, right? I want to see Christian communities that are flourishing in solid, stable, deep-rooted, contented joy, right? Because I do think that is an attractant. I do think that's what people are seeking today. There are many people that don't have it. More than ever, we see uh, generations of anxiety and depression and fear and suicidal ideation and all these different things. Those are clearly opposites of joy. And so the more that we are tethered to Jesus, the more we are seeking our life in the Spirit, the more we are seeking to be rooted in the wisdom of the Spirit as he exudes in our lives, and the more we are just walking in him and seeking him out, the more his power is shown in us, and from that we can have joy toward the world around us. I know we don't always feel it, but we should even exude it when we don't feel it. We should choose a tone of it, even when we're not always sensing it in our own lives. There's nothing wrong with fake it till you make it. That can be true too. And I'm not trying to take away that some of us may struggle with depression. Some of us may struggle with things at a level where we need medication for that. I get all of that, but we want to just work hard, even in the midst of those challenges that we face to say, you know what, when I hit the real world around me, they're going to know I'm the happiest person in the room right now. I'm going to work hard in my tone, in my personality type to work toward joy, right? Because I do believe, like this article, that happiness and joy is far more important to Jesus than success. And I think the more we can own that and have a real sense of cooperative focus on that, 
the more we'll be effective everyday missionaries.